Russia has uh, declared war on Ukraine uh, this past week. Uh, it's been a long time uh, since a major war has broken out in Europe. And uh, I think we're all uh, aware that a war is an ugly thing. Uh, with war comes death, comes pain, comes fear and anxiety, loss of family and friends, and much more. It's, it's all out ugly on every facet of war. It, it's an ugly thing uh, to grasp. Uh, for me, when, when I think about uh, the tensions that are taking place uh, throughout this world uh, as we speak uh, right now, uh, I put my hope in a day and age uh, where peace will reign forever. When Christ, who is now sitting at the right hand of God, is going to come back and establish God's kingdom here on earth, and he's going to hand the kingdom over to his Father, to his God, to our God, and it'll be an everlasting day, an everlasting age where peace will reign. In our weekly email this past week, I shared my favorite passage on the peace that we will experience in God's kingdom in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 10. Within that, it reads, they shall not hurt or destroy in all the holy mountain." For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that day. Before we get too uh, started, too knees deep into our series on how to read the Bible. I just want to take a moment and offer a prayer, all of us, on, uh, on behalf of those in uh, Russia and Ukraine and everything uh, that they are experiencing right now. So if you join me in prayer and praying for those in Russia and Ukraine. Father, we love you. Uh, Father, at this time, we just uh, ask that you lift up uh, those who are in uh, Ukraine and Russia. Um, Father, I just pray that uh, people there may seek you for peace, for comfort, for guidance. Father, I pray that as we uh, watch on the atrocities that are taking place, I pray that uh, you let our hearts break for what breaks yours, Father. And Father, ultimately, I just pray that uh, your church puts their hope in that day and age where peace will reign for all of eternity. And Father, I pray that those who are suffering in Ukraine, those who are suffering in Russia, I pray that they put their hope in your coming kingdom as well, where everything wrong with this world will be made right. So Father, we love you. I thank you for this church, this family. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So unfortunately, war is nothing new. Uh, the harsh rule of dictators is nothing new either. In fact, according to the wise words of Solomon, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. In the first century uh, AD, after the death of Jesus, Christians had to deal uh, with the harsh Roman rule. And uh, under many standards and many measures, uh, the Roman rule is more harsh than any other modern uh, nation uh, that we see that exists today. And uh, fortunately for us, we get to learn how these early Christians dealt with the harsh Roman rule through a handful of writings known as the 
epistles. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we conclude our series on how to read the Bible. As we conclude this series, our goal has been for you to be able to read and study the Bible for yourselves, as opening up your Bible once a week on Sunday morning is simply not enough. This word, the scriptures, was miraculously preserved for you. There's been countless of people, countless of times that people have tried to get rid of these words here, but nothing short of a divine miracle We have access to these words, and we must be reading them, we must be studying them, we must be meditating on these words. On my way to church uh, this morning, I was listening to the radio, and I forget uh, what the song uh, was called. Some of you guys might know this song, but it's saying, what if the church on Sunday was the church on Monday too? Let that sink in for a minute. What if the church on Sunday was the church on Monday too? And that involves a lot of things, uh, being the church. But a part of that includes reading his scriptures. We gotta be reading his scriptures on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Throughout the whole week, we've got to be the church. We have got to be digging into his word. And so throughout this series, we're not so much telling you what's in the Bible. We're going over the basics of what the Bible has to say, but instead we're, we're, we're basically teaching you how to fish, teaching you how to read the Bible for yourselves. As we've all been there before, where we sit on our couch and uh, we read the Bible for 5, 10, or 15 minutes, and at the end of it, we ask, what in the world did I just read? And hopefully, uh, yeah, I see some of you guys shaking your heads in confirmation that, yeah, I've been there. I've been there myself as well. And hopefully, we can at least reduce the frequency in which that happens, and hopefully, you can start reading God's Word and coming away with a true and honest understanding of what God is trying to tell you. And so today we're finishing up this series by talking about the epistles and then also the book of Revelation. So the epistles are uh, the books that follow the book of Acts. We're in the New Testament now, and there are 21 epistles. There are 13 Pauline epistles, and there are eight general epistles. Some of you guys may be wondering uh, about right now, what in the world is an epistle? An epistle is simply a letter. And so all of these 21 books are simply letters that uh, someone wrote to someone else or a group of people. Now, unfortunately for us today in the 21st century, all 21 of these letters were not written specifically to us. That, that's unfortunate. I wish I could say that these letters were written specifically for you, but it tells us in, in these letters who this letter was specifically written for. On the bright side, though, these letters were miraculously preserved special for you. So although they were not originally addressed to you or to myself, these letters were preserved specially for you so that you can read and meditate and study what these Christian authors had to say. And every single one of these letters, they were written by a Christian author, someone who followed Christ. And all 21 of these letters, they were addressed to uh, someone who was a Christ follower or a group of people, uh, like a church. A lot of these different letters were addressed to particular churches uh, back in first century AD. 
Now, as they wrote these letters, they'd have to write these letters, Paul or whoever else uh, wrote uh, these letters. They would write them, and uh, they did have a Roman postal service uh, at that time, but really it was mostly reserved for official documents. And so these guys, they they would write their letter, and then they would go and send their letter off with a trusted friend or worker, secretary, whoever, whoever it may be, and it would take maybe a day or two or a couple weeks, however long it would take to deliver this message to the targeted audience, and then either that church, the group of Christians, or uh, that particular person would then read the letter that was written uh, for them. And as we talk about these 21 letters, these 21 epistles, and as we break these down, we're going to talk about three different things uh, this morning. Number one, we're going to talk about how they were organized and the order in uh, which they are found in our Bibles today. Uh, we're going to talk about the main literary style uh, that's found in uh, these 21 epistles, which is uh, discourse. And then we're also going to see an example of how these uh, letters flow from beginning uh, to end. And just a friendly uh, reminder uh, for you all, I've said this a couple times throughout the series, this is not going to be your typical uh, sermon where we're preaching and we're getting into it, we're motivated. I personally am a guy full of energy. I might not have some of the smarts uh, and wisdom that a lot of uh, the elder uh, pastors uh, have, but what I do have is I got energy. Unfortunately, we're not going to get a ton of of the energy uh, throughout this series, as it's kind of like we're going back to the classroom again. We're, We're getting deep into information. So think of this more as like a lecture uh, rather uh, than a sermon or a message uh, this morning. But number one, back to topic here, number one, the organization of books. Like many other uh, sections of the Bible, these books are not organized chronologically. And uh, if you're like me, that can uh, sometimes confuse me as I'm a man who likes order and uh, probably the most common order that we have is time from beginning to end. That's how we like to organize a lot of things. That's not how these 21 books are organized though. Instead, they separate them into 13 Pauline epistles and eight general epistles. The 13 Pauline epistles are all called that because they're all written by the apostle Paul. I had wanted to go into deep detail of who Paul was since he is such an integral figure when we're talking about uh, these epistles, but unfortunately, uh, we just do not have enough time. We had too much information uh, to discuss. So basically, Paul, he was a Jew at first, a staunch Jew who persecuted Christians, but then through a vision that we can uh, read in the scriptures in the book of Acts, he turned his life around, he became a Christian, and he was a really important role and how this Christian message spread throughout uh, the region, eventually spreading to the ends of the earth. So that's who Paul was. And Paul wrote these first 13 epistles, these first 13 letters. And now of these 13 letters uh, from Romans to Philemon, the first nine were all written by Paul and they were all addressed to a church, 
We, we can read that right in the beginning of these different letters. It talks about Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, to the church in, for example, in Rome or the church in Corinth. So those first nine Pauline epistles are all from Paul to a church, and that covers Romans through 2 Thessalonians. Now, the last four Pauline epistles, that would be 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus and Philemon, they were all written from Paul, but they were to an individual. And those individuals would be uh, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And so these were specific uh, issues that Paul wanted to address to these specific people. Whereas when Paul was writing to the churches, he was addressing specific issues, specific topics that that particular church needed to hear. As again, they were not originally addressed to us, miraculously preserved for us, but not addressed to us. So those are the 13 uh, Pauline epistles. And then after the 13 Pauline epistles, uh, we have the eight general epistles or the eight general uh, letters. And these are just called general letters or general epistles because different people uh, wrote uh, these different letters. We have a handful of authors just in uh, these eight different letters. And it's not exactly uh, clear to me. There, I'm sure there, there was some uh, thought process that went behind uh, when the original uh, composers of the Bible uh, and, and how they'd organize uh, these eight different uh, general epistles. Uh, but from what I've seen, uh, it's not uh, super uh, clear to me. But we just have those eight general epistles after the 13 Pauline epistles. And so as we read through uh, these epistles or through uh, these letters, we'll find out that the bulk of it is discourse. If you remember from our second week in uh, this series, we talked about the three main literary styles of the Bible, and that's historical narrative, that's poetry, and that's discourse. And thus far throughout this series in the Old Testament and the four Gospels and Acts, we see bits of uh, discourse interspersed throughout uh, the former part of Scripture, but we've not seen big chunks of it. And that all changes with the epistles, as it is all almost discourse. And discourse, again, is just when one uh, person, one party um, delivers a message, whether that be through a speech. We, like, we have a couple of the sermons of Jesus. That would be a discourse. It's a monologue. But a lot of uh, all the discourse that we see here in the epistles, it is the communication in the form of writing. It's one person communicating to another person. This is not a dialogue uh, that we see take place uh, throughout uh, these 21 books, unlike we would see in historical narrative, like a story or a plot uh, progressing throughout uh, the events. So not too many events are taking place. We don't see a lot of poetry in these different uh, figures of speech, but it's one author, the only person communicating, and he's trying to make a point. He's trying to make whatever argument he is trying to make to the particular audience. And these different points, these different points of discussion, they progress. They start small and they progress and it like de develops into a snowball. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger as they get deeper and deeper and deeper into these issues. And so when we are reading through these epistles, we have to slow down. I'll say that again. We have to slow down when reading through these epistles because it is heavy material to read through. 
Like, what in the world are we to do with the Mosaic law after Jesus has fulfilled the law? Really weighty topics that you can't just simply answer like that. I'm a simple man. I love simple answers. There's not a lot of simple answers in these 21 letters as they're talking about complex topics that have layers to uh, these different uh, questions that they are trying to solve. Whereas when we are reading historical narrative um, and sometimes poetry as well, you can just fly by that uh, just like you would read uh, through a story. Uh, but you have to slow down when reading this discourse, when reading something that is developing, a point that is developing uh, upon the initial points uh, that were written. And so when we are reading through uh, these epistles, we have to be aware of the context of what's going around it, because it all builds off of one another. When we're reading through historical narrative, we can pluck five or ten verses out of context, and we can get the gist of what the author is trying to illustrate uh, in those five to ten verses. But that's not the case uh, when it comes to the epistles, as these are long, drawn-out topics. And uh, I was curious what uh, the internet had to say about this, about uh, understanding the context of uh, the 21 different epistles. And so I typed in uh, to Google earlier this week, I typed in verses taken out of context in the Bible. So I was on Google, I searched that, and I just clicked on the first article I saw. The first article uh, read, 10 popular Bible verses taken out of context. And out of those 10 verses they stated were taken out of context, guess how many were from these uh, 21 epistles? Any guesses of the 10? Oh, you guys are disappointing me a little bit. Uh, not all 10, not nine, but eight. I thought, I thought that was a lot. There are 121 chapters in the epistles, and there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. So for those of you guys who aren't too interested in math, that's about 10%. About 10% of your Bible is made up of these 21 epistles. And of 10% of that Bible... 80% of the most popular verses taken out of context, according to this article, are found in these epistles. That, that, that beautifully illustrates my point, I think, in that we have to understand the context because these are arguments that are, that are developing off of each other. It is a big story, a, a big argument, and you can't just pluck one verse out of these letters, if you do, there's a very good chance that you are going to misunderstand what these authors are actually trying to say. And we see this all, or I see this all the time, people plucking verses out of these 21 epistles, trying to say something. When you look at the context, it's actually saying something totally different. And so that's another reason as to why we have to slow down because of what we are reading. We are reading discourse, and discourse can be trickier to understand than a simple story, historical narrative, or poetry. So discourse. And so as we continue uh, through this, as we read through uh, the epistles, we'll notice also that a lot of them follow a similar 
cadence. A lot of these different letters, they start with an introduction and a greeting, then they progress to uh, whatever point they are trying to demonstrate uh, to the particular target audience, and then they conclude with a a farewell. And I want to show you an example of how these letters open up in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be uh, behind me on the screen there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 reads, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. And so here we see, just in verse 1, we have identified the author. Who's the author? It's Paul. Paul is a man who is called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So that's the first uh, thing that we have to consider when reading these different letters. Who is the author? And oftentimes, you'll find out right then in the first verse of the letter that, hey, here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is the author. And so if we progress to verse 2, it reads, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So verse one, we've identified the author. Verse two, we see who this letter is addressed to. And it is addressed to the church of God that is in Corinth. So in this city of Corinth, there is a church, and that is the church that Paul is specifically addressing in this letter of 1 Corinthians. And so Paul's not just writing to to the everyday person. Paul is talking specifically to people like you and I, people who are followers of Christ Jesus. So this is a message that applies directly to us today, even though it wasn't written directly to us. And then if we continue in verse 3, Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before he gets into uh, whatever uh, case in point that, that he's trying to talk about here, he says, listen up, guys, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's sending grace and he's sending well wishes to these people And finally, in verse four, Paul writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And so we have verse one, the author, verse two, the recipient, verse three, grace and blessings and well wishes to the church. And then in verse four, we see Paul giving thanks to this church in Christ. Corinth. He's kind of building them up, encouraging them before uh, he kind of tears them down and talks about some of the issues uh, that he is experiencing. And this is a very similar cadence to how all of these other letters are written as well. The only two letters of these 21, which don't specifically uh, take note of the author and the recipient of the letter, is Hebrews and 1 John. Those are the only two of the 21 that don't specifically say who the author is and who the recipient of uh, that letter is. 
every other book, at the beginning, the first couple verses when you read, it will tell you who wrote it, and it will tell you who it is to. And to me, that, that's very important to understand as we are reading through these different letters. You got to know who it was intended for. And so uh, if you're like me, if you're someone who uh, likes to take notes in your Bible, uh, what I do at the beginning of all these uh, different epistles, you won't be able to see it, but I just say, who wrote this book and who is it to? That, that, that can be extremely helpful if you're like me, like to take notes. I strongly encourage you at the top of each book, say, who's the author and who is it to? And it doesn't really take much studying to find out because, again, the answer is right there in the first couple of verses. So that uh, is kind of the, the, the cadence, the rhythm of these different letters. Uh, an example specifically of the introduction, the greeting, and then it goes into uh, the big topic at hand. And then these letters ends with a, a farewell saying, I give you my best wishes. Say hi to uh, whomever it may be. You'll often find that as these letters are being delivered uh, to these different people. So that's kind of the basic structure of how the these letters are written. So that's uh, basic information to help you understand uh, these 21 epistles. Uh, number one, we understand how they were organized. Uh, number two, we understand that it's a discourse that we have to slow down. These are big, weighty topics being talked about in these 21 uh, letters. And number three, you kind of see uh, the cadence, the rhythm of these 21 letters. And we've got to address who wrote it, and who is it to? And I hope that's information that will help you understand and study these 21 epistles. So now that we're done with the 21 epistles, we smoothly, or not so smoothly, transition into uh, the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book of your Bible. Everyone take a sigh of relief. <sighs> We've made it to the last book of the Bible. We are on book 66 of 66. So the book of Revelation is one of a kind. Uh, it's, it's a genre that many people uh, term is apocalyptic prophecy. Apocalypse just means the revealing of divine mysteries, and a prophet is simply one who speaks the word of God. So if you break down that phrase, apocalyptic prophecy, it's just the revealing of divine mysteries from the word of God. As confusing as that sounds, that's exactly what this book is all about. We could, spend a, we could spend more than a full year talking about the book of Revelation. Raise your hand if you spent time reading through Revelation and you spent time confused. Yeah, I... That's me. Uh, the book of Revelation is a difficult, difficult book to understand. Um, and again, we could spend more than a year on the book of Revelation. I believe uh, John's Sunday school class downstairs just went through uh, the book of Revelation uh, not too long ago. So kudos to you guys uh, for spending time uh, in this book. But basically what we see in the book of Revelation, we have uh, the writer John. There's some debate discussion as to who exactly this John is of Patmos as 
as uh, there's a number, uh, as John was a common name uh, in that uh, day and age. But this writer, John, he has basically a handful of different visions, and these visions are left up to be interpreted by the reader. And that's where it gets confusing. That's where it can get difficult to understand the book of Revelation because there are many, many different ways in which we can interpret these different visions that John has recorded in his book. Unfortunately, we simply do not have enough time to uh, dive into all these uh, different interpretations. But I want to make you guys aware of probably the two most common uh, interpretations of the book of Revelation. Kind of different viewpoints, different uh, glasses that we use to read through uh, the book of Revelation. And those two common interpretations or viewpoints is the preterist viewpoint and the futurist viewpoint. And I know people uh, within uh, the Church of God who hold a preterist viewpoint. I know people within the Church of God who hold a futurist viewpoint as well. But the preterist viewpoint states that many of these different visions or many of these different prophecies recorded in the book of Revelation and elsewhere, uh, like the Olivet Discourse, for example, in uh, the book of Matthew chapter 24, a lot of them were fulfilled in 70 A.D., now, some of you guys may be asking, what happened in 70 AD? Well, in 70 AD, the Roman Empire invaded the city of Jerusalem. And the Roman army, under the leadership of the future emperor Titus, he completely tore down the city, and he completely, uh, more importantly, he completely tore down the temple. The temple of God that was in the city of Jerusalem was tore down by this Roman uh, empire. And so that uh, is uh, skin and bones, basically a brief summary of what happened in 70 AD. And so the preterist viewpoint, how many people interpret the book of Revelation, is they view a lot of these prophecies, prophecies in Matthew chapter 24, a lot of these prophecies were fulfilled in this year. In other words, they, they, they were prophecies uh, foretelling of events that already happened, that happened a couple thousand years ago. And a lot of people hold this viewpoint. And, and so again, that's called the preterist viewpoint. The second uh, common viewpoint in uh, the book of Revelation is a futurist uh, viewpoint. And this states that many of these different prophecies or visions uh, that John records in this book uh, have yet to be fulfilled, that they will be, be fulfilled sometime in the future, that we haven't seen the, fulfill, the fulfillment of, of many of these different visions. And now, those are the two common viewpoints. I'm not gonna uh, come up here and say how I interpret uh, the book of Revelation because as again, I'm confused. I'm confused as well. I have my ideas. I have my opinions, uh, my biases and how to interpret, uh, but I could be wrong. And I don't want to proclaim something that I'm not very, 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 very confident uh, is true. I would love to have those discussions uh, with you guys as uh, I love having uh, those sort of discussions. Um, but I'm not going to tell you how 
to read the book of Revelation, which viewpoint uh, to take. But I do want to let you guys know there's different ways in how you can interpret uh, these different uh, visions. Obviously, one is right and one is wrong, uh, but to me, uh, the answer is not crystal clear. So that, in summary, is uh, the book of Revelation, um, a book that's kind of really in uh, its own category. There's not really another book uh, quite like it. So we did it. Those are the 66 uh, books of the Bible. And so rather than telling you what what is in the Bible, our goal throughout this series has been to teach you how to read the Bible. As on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we've got to be reading God's word on our own. Once a week, listening to what I have to say. Once a week, listening to what your Sunday school teachers have to say. There's no other way to put it than it is not enough. And I know that that may bring uh, guilt on uh, some people. We all have our highs and our lows uh, of developing these habits of reading God's word. But you've got to develop a habit one way or another of reading his word and digging deep into his word as, again, it's not directly written to you, but it's nothing short of a divine miracle that we have access to God's words today. And through reading his scriptures, we get to know who God is. We get to know who Christ Jesus is. We get to know more about ourselves, our identity as children of God. We get to learn about the promises of the kingdom of God where everything wrong with this world is going to be made right and so much more. There is truly no other book recorded in all of human history that compares to these 66 books right here. And so again, I'm reminded of that song this morning that I heard, what if the church on Sunday was the church on Monday too. And so my plea for you all is to please be that church on Monday. Be the church on Tuesday as well, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. There's a lot involved in that, but it includes reading your Bible. And I hope now that you know how to read your Bible. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your words that have been miraculously preserved for each and every one of us. Father, I pray that you help us create healthy habits in our life that involve reading your scriptures on a daily basis, that we can learn more about who you are, who your son is, the promises of your kingdom. As a father, I thank you for the messages of hope, the messages of peace and faith and love and so much more that is found within the scriptures. And Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.